1: From chapter 32 right on through to chapter 37, Elihu, a very young man, seeks to justify God rather than justify Job and his predicament. And we continue that look coming up next. key to Elihu's discourse here in the book of Job can be found in chapter 32, where he became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. And he was righteous in his own eyes. And he was more concerned about his own righteousness, Job was, than God's. So for the next few chapters, Elihu takes the stage and stands on behalf of God, promoting His righteousness, and as we'll see today, His righteous government. Job 36 is where we catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
2: The glory cloud approaches. We're going to see today a lot of weather conditions and what that that has to do with us and the kingdom of God. So Elihu, with Job and his three friends, See a cloud approaching. In fact, take a a quick peek at verse 1 of chapter 38. It says, Then the Lord assured Job out of the whirlwind. Everything you see in chapter 31 shows the visual manifestation of the glory cloud drawing close. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to the end of the chapter, Elihu's words become quite disjointed. They're almost staccato, like in their speed, moving from theme to theme, as Elihu describes God's control of weather conditions. It's kind of like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the glory of God came down, and Mark alone records... And they knew not what to say. And that's kind of where we are in this chapter. As the cloud draws near, all kinds of different weather conditions start happening around them. And there are some very, very important lessons that we can draw from this. Not only from the weather, but also what weather teaches us about listening to God and reverencing Him. Because I think an underlying point of this chapter is every time there is thunder, God is saying to us, listen to my voice. Every time there is lightning, God is saying, look to me for your light. When we see the clouds, we're supposed to think God will hold me up too. You see, we live in a theater of God's glory, and Job and all the others are seeing all of these weather cycles spinning around the Lord as this visible manifestation of His glory draws near to them. In verse 1, Elihu trembles, and you, I'm sure, have felt this. It's like you're on a roller coaster, and suddenly it drops down, those of you who are stupid enough like me to get on roller coasters. And your heart just kind of gulps. There is a lesson we can draw from this. Paul says in Hebrews 12, 28, We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace to serve God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. It's not in the new covenant that we have less reason to fear God. We have more. Because we are now living in the glory cloud of God's presence through Jesus Christ. Now granted, we have a mediator. And the Lord Jesus Christ has borne all the wrath. And we should not have a servile fear. But we still, when we think of God's grace and mercy to us in Jesus, should tremble that God is drawing near to us the Holy, Holy Holy God. Oh, how differently our living would be if we thought about this. How different our work would be. Our worship would be more intense and focused on Christ. You're not coming here to see me. You're not coming here literally either to see one another. You are coming here to meet God on the God of the earth. You are coming here to meet our God, and faith lies hold of this, and it trembles with rejoicing, with a desire to obey God, and with a gratitude for his mercy. Notice the first thing Elihu thinks, verse 2. We need to hear his voice. We need to hear God's voice and listen attentively. Now you might think, why is that the first thing? Well, in Deuteronomy, Moses said about the appearance of God on Mount Sinai, You saw no form, but you heard a voice. The glory cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration that I just mentioned, do you remember? There was glory, and Peter and James and John fell to the ground, and Moses and Eli who appear, and what comes out of that cloud? Hear me! Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter 1. He he joins these very things together that when we think of God's glory, the first thing we are supposed to think of is, I need to listen to His voice. I need to hear His voice. I I need to read the Word. I need to hear it preached. I, I need to meditate on it. Peter is recording here in verse 17 the Mount of Transfiguration, and he says... For he, and that is Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Boy, if we could only hear that voice. Well, notice what he continues it continues to say, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well, that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What's he talking about? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, the voice we heard today, we have a more definitive, clearly a more reliable word. So who's just doing what all godly men do when they're in the presence of God, which is Christian's. We live in every single day. We live in the presence of God. Let me ask you, did you pray today? Where do you think you went as you prayed? By faith, you went into the the throne room of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ being our mediator. And what does God tell us? Listen to the sound that goes out of my voice He gives us encouragement to listen by drawing from what some men call the book of nature. Of course, the book of nature won't do us any good unless we have the book of Scripture. Because sin has gouged out our eyes. But everyone here today, we profess to have new eyes. So do we need encouragement to listen to God's voice? Notice in verse 3. This very much seems to anticipate Psalm 9 and Romans 1. God's voice goes throughout the whole world and His lightnings to the end of the earth. So when we see lightning, we're not supposed to just think, God is powerful. We're supposed to think, God is powerful. I need to listen. Verse 4, His voice roareth. Psalm 29.3 says, The God of glory thundereth. His voice is compared to thunder. So don't tell your children, Oh, that's thunder. God must be moving His furniture around up in heaven. No. God is not moving furniture around in heaven. God is by thunder saying, Listen to my voice, because in Psalm 29, he goes on there and says, God's voice causes the deer even, the calf. It knocks down the forest. It reshapes the face of the earth. Then he comes down to the end here and says, He will give peace unto his people. He sits his king upon the flood. So when we hear the thunder, the voice of his excellency, verse 4, we need to remember God's word is powerful and we need to listen. Hebrews 4:12 The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. You know one of the reasons I think we are so dull, I am at least, to the preaching of the uh, and the reading and the meditation of God's word sometimes Is that we forget we are living in this theater where God is giving us backdrops to remind us of the power of His Word. In the storms, God is saying, Listen to me. I love you. He's saying, Listen to me. I want you to really take my word seriously. When we hear the thunder of his voice, we're reminded, man, God is so powerful. We can't even begin to comprehend his greatness. The end of verse 4, he will not stay them when his voice is heard. The idea here is that of a hurricane with its out-of-control power, or perhaps tsunami waves moving highways and knocking down bridges, altering the face of a coastline. who seems to be saying here that these things happen not by brute force or by the force of nature, But God has his reins in his hands and he doesn't have any need to hold them back because everything is already in his hands and directed to accomplish whatever he purposes. So in verses 1 through 5, when we see these displays of God's power and his majesty in the natural world, we are to do what? We are to listen to our God. We need to hold fast to his word. He has especially drawn close to us now in Jesus, who is the eternal word, the living word. So if I give myself to God's word, it's going to have the same powerful force and the same effect on me as we see the floods do that change the face of continents and as we see lightning smash trees. When you see the ravages of nature, think, God will do the same thing to the sins of my life. If I put myself under his word, he will smash them. This is how we are to think. We're supposed to see God's glory in nature and as his people worship him and listen to his voice. And draw near to him through his son. Then in the next section, verses 6 through 13 who goes through the cycles of the weather. Now, we need to be very careful that when we as Christians speak of weather, we don't blaspheme. Because remember, blasphemy is when we are confronted with any of God's works and we don't worship him for them. So if we see a thunderstorm and we don't praise God for his powers, we blaspheme, beloved. Beloved. I'm guilty of it. I've had to confess it. Or when we are simply fearful without worshiping him and seeking his face, we have not profited at all from what he is doing in the world. And we should profit from everything that God does in this world. who mentions the snow and says, God commands it to be. The mountains of Lebanon near where Job lived were covered with snow during the winter's. Verse 6, the small rain showers, what we call torrential downpours. God controls them all. Sometimes, verse 7, the snow or the rain is so powerful that man can't go outside to work. And the animals even stay in their dens, in their caves, it says. Why does God do this? It is so all men may know His work. It is a practical lesson. If we are providentially hindered from going to work because of snow or because of flooding or because of disease or old age or other providential circumstances, what are we supposed to do that day? I, I know, stay home and watch TV, right? Oh, no, no, go on our devices and keep up with everything that's going on in the social world, right? No. Part of that day at least, maybe even the biggest part of it, we are to think. Now, why has God stopped me from going to work today? What is the purpose of my work again? Oh, God is revealing his glory to me in this so that I may draw near to him and know him and do all things, including my work for his glory. He mentions in verse nine, the south winds that come. He mentions the cold out of the north. He says, when we see frost on the ground, the breath of the waters is straightened, which means frozen. This past winter, I don't know if you know this, but the Canadian side of the Niagara Falls was completely frozen. And we're not just supposed to think when rivers and lakes are frozen, man, is it cold outside. We're supposed to think God's power, his wisdom God is calling me to listen to him. Think of it like this. Everything we see in what men call nature is God's symphony designed to get our attention and to wake us up from our sluggishness so that we will listen to his word. But we shouldn't have to wait until God sends us a frost of rain before we are in the word of God. Every time it sprinkles, we should say, God, sprinkle my soul. Lord Jesus, come upon me like the rain upon the mown grass. We shouldn't have to wait until we hear sirens going off and the waters are inclining their way up my porch. Oh no, this must be the big one. Well, yes, God is in control of the big one. And He is in control. He is controlling it and making His glory and His power known. But He is also... In the simple showers. So we should think on him and allow what we see in the world to lead us to glorify him and to seek him for our good. Notice in verse 11, he wears out the clouds by letting the water fall, he scatters the bright clouds. Verse 12, why did the clouds move? Well, of course it's because of the wind, right? No, it is. Our almighty God. He is the one who directs the clouds to go the direction that he wants them to go. Now notice verse 13. It's very important for an understanding of this chapter. Let me just give you a brief statement. The weather is covenantal. The weather is covenantal. I don't want you to ever forget that. Notice. He says is it is either for correction or for his land or for his mercy. If there's a drought here in California, then we of course get draconian water usage laws and the price of water per cubic foot becomes outrageous. In many cities, new construction must have every must have very low water usage landscaping. Some mayor in our state, I think, San Diego pulled up most of the sod from his palatial home and replaced it all with rock. And he told everyone, grass is the old reality. Rocks are the new reality. That is his answer to drought. God's answer to drought is, you need to repent because I can easily make it rain. He says, when people turn to me, I can make the deserts blossom like a rose garden. This is how we are to view the weather. God is correcting. He is chastening. When we see the storms, we should think the Lord is trying to get my attention. I need to repent. When it is peaceful weather, idyllic, beautiful sunsets, we are to think, boy, the Lord is righteous. And he has given us peace with him through his Son, Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you're at the beach sometime this summer and you take pictures of the sunset, think, I am at peace with God through Jesus. My life is beautiful because He is beautiful. And He has made my life lovely through His righteousness. Notice here that in what He says, it is either for correction, the weather, or because He is taking care of the land. You see, sometimes we forget I've had seasons of my life when I was younger, when a thunderstorm would come, and I thought, man, God is out to get me. And really, that's not a bad thing. But sometimes we forget, wait a minute, God is taking care of the earth. God didn't talk to our local weatherman and say, I I think I'm going to be doing something today, so watch out. We forget this with all of the models and computers and prognostications, God is taking care of the earth. And he could really care less what the weathermen are doing. Nor can I. Or say, or or what they're saying. And sometimes he says, I think I'm going to split this up here. I think I'm going to change the face of this continent, or maybe I'll just create another continent. Most scientists who are Christian... Think that originally there was only one continent, but God split it up like he wanted to split it up. After all, it's his land. He says, if I need to alter the face of the earth with floods, if I need to dry it out a bit, if I need some trees to fall, if I need to moisten things up. I'm, of course, speaking as a man here. God doesn't need to do something. But the point is. God is his own best steward, and he does, beloved, to the earth whatever he pleases. He merely calls us to be the stewards under him. Sometimes, as the verse concludes, it's just for mercy. It's interesting that Elihu uses the word here, hesed, for mercy, which is God's covenant love. Think of this. There are times you think, what a beautiful day. God certainly loves me. He's showering me with a beautiful sky. And we love the weather around here in the spring, except maybe for the pollen, right, David? But in the fall and winter, when it gets cold and windy and rainy, we need to also think that the Lord is beautiful even in this, because he is my life. Let me devote myself to him. So in verses 14 through 20, Elihu basically tells Job, Be still and contemplate what God is doing. Stand still. That's a very good idea for us today. Stand still. Well, how do we stand still? Granted, we have work to do, and the Lord knows this. But we stand still when we think on God's works each day. And we just stop for a moment and we are quiet before his word and we pray. This is very important. We do all live very busy lives. And I recommend you do this each morning. I think it is Psalm 55 verse 17 that says, Morning, noon, and night you will hear my voice and will look up to me. Avoiding is very important to us to be still before the Lord, just before the responsibilities of the day kick in. So let me encourage you to do this. There's no mature Christian life without some stillness, my friends. There is none. If we don't seek the Lord, if we're not confessing our sins, if we're not asking for His grace and mercy, if we are not still still, He says in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Then we are not going to grow in grace.
1: Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. 866 You're welcome to also visit our website learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by again calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.